we are one of the spreads in the catalog. So they had the Hispanic dad, they had the black dad, they had the handicapped dad, they had the Jewish dad, they had all these, but then they had the gay dads. It said something like, what's better than having one dad? Having two. And people were losing their mind. And funny enough, there was actually a lesbian couple that was in the Mother's Day one that no one noticed at all. And then we come out and it was like blew up. Million moms lost their minds, called for a boycott of JCPenney, said that we are immoral, all this kind of stuff. We've got news stations, CNN followed us around for a day. We had, I think even interviews with like Fox News and stuff. I mean, I'm, 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 equal, I'm an equal opportunity publicity whore, so I was. <laughs> In 2017, I had it all, but it was a world built on a secret that I didn't want to deal with and could no longer contain. And that's when it all came crashing down. You can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is Falling Out. Welcome to this episode of Falling Out. I am your host, Brian Kennedy. Joining me across the table is my co-host, Coleman Charles. Howdy, howdy. So today we are going to invite Cooper Koch to the show. He is going to be here to talk a little bit about gay families. Cooper is married to his husband, Todd, and they have adopted two children who are now around 13 years of age. I think it's really important in today's cultural climate to highlight and show what a well-adjusted and healthy same-sex family can look like. Cooper has been a role model in these areas. If you haven't had a chance to check him out online, he always does some fabulous things, great stories. His children now being teenagers, he has a unique perspective on parenting adolescence and moving <laughs> forward through that. Right. I think kind of the funny thing is that we think that being a gay parent is so much different from being, you know, a, a straight parent or a, you know, heteronormative parent when it's like you still deal with the same problem. It's just, you know, instead of a mom and a dad to, you know, for your kid to hate, they have two dads or two moms, you know? <laughs> yeah. And, and today in, in light of some of the political talk about the don't say gay bill or, you know, how politicians are beginning to target, LGBTQ families. Uh, I saw there's a recent a, a nationwide ad that released last week that is a family with a trans child and talking about who their child is and what their child likes. There's not some nefarious agenda going on in queer communities. And that's how politicians have begun to show us. And that's a problem. And I think it's important to, to support healthy families and to show those family systems and what they need to look like or what they can look like and to be that representation in a world today. And just some kind of interesting statistics about um, LGBTQ families. So gay and lesbian parents are raising 4% of all adopted children. So awesome statistic there. Definitely could be higher. 15% of the 1.1 million same-sex couples in the United States in 2019 had at least one child under 18 in their household compared to about 40% of opposite sex couples. So again, it's like these families are out there, whether or not they're in your personal communities, but you know, these families are out here and we definitely do need to support and protect them. And I think that ties into the work that our guest is doing. Cooper Koch is a longtime supporter and national board member of Help Us Adopt, an organization that helps bring families and kids together to find forever homes through life-changing grants to cover the significant one-time expenses often associated with adoption. Professionally, Cooper is the founder of the PR firm Cooper Smith Agency. 
He is also the founder and publisher of He Said Dallas, an online source of things to do, see, buy, enjoy, etc. in Dallas, all from a witty gay perspective. And he also is a storyteller on his blog, coopedup.com, that has his daily live Facebook shows that air weekdays at 4.30 on Facebook. He previously contributed to the Huffington Post's Queer Voice section. In 2012, Cooper and his family were featured in a national Father's Day marketing campaign for JCPenney that triggered a boycott from the Million Moms and received worldwide news coverage of the first-of-its-kind ad. It was the first-ever mainstream American ad featuring a real-life gay family. I am very excited to talk to him about that. Please welcome to our show, Cooper Cott. Thank you so much. Good to be here. Love the show. Tell us a little bit about you. I've known you for quite a while. I don't know all of your background. I found out today I've been pronouncing your name wrong for like five <laughs> or six years. So just tell us a little bit about all this Cooperness. Yes. So I am a lifelong South Texan. Um, grew up far, far South Texas on the border of Mexico. I like to joke that I was the tallest, gayest, whitest thing in three counties down there. Grew up down there. Uh, have a, a good family. My parents have both been married four times. So marriage wasn't something that, that I actually know a lot about. I mean, I knew a lot about it, but I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> I've since learned. I've been with my partner now for 23 years. Okay. My husband, actually. Isn't it funny how we for so long said partner because we weren't allowed to say husband. And now we have husbands and it's, it's, it short circuits my brain sometimes. <laughs> um, but moved to Dallas out of high school to go to SMU, and I just love Dallas and have stayed here. I have two kids. I own a couple of businesses. I like to say that I'm an unapologetic external processor. I just share my thoughts constantly, what I'm doing, what I think. Some people love it. Some people think I'm terribly judgmental. <laughs> I don't think I am. I think I'm just telling people what I do, I think and what I'm doing. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think I've I've read a few posts from just job interviews or people you've had mm -hmm. come through your your business, and I'm like, oh, that that is tough. It's a little sharp. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's observational humor, is what I like to think. <laughs> what was it like? I mean, especially growing up in South Texas, you know, some of our listeners are, are from all over the world, mm -hmm. so they kind of don't know that environment. But yeah. just also growing up gay or coming out gay, how did your family accept that? How did your community accept that? Yeah. Well, I will tell you. So where I'm from, again, is a small town called Donna, Texas, which is outside of McAllen, Texas, which is also a small town, but that's the, the town everyone knows. It is, I think, 98% Hispanic down there. And because y'all can't see me. I am six and a half feet tall, very blonde, very blue-eyed, big white teeth. So I stick out like a sore thumb down there. My high school graduating class was 900 kids. Less than 20 of us were white. Everybody else was Hispanic. So that's like the only reality I knew growing up, really. And I was fine with it, but I was pretty Nelly back then. I've embraced it. I actually don't think I'm more butch, so to speak, nowadays than I ever was. But I think I've incorporated it better into my personality. Back then, it was just, it was almost like a caricature. I like to joke that everyone else knew I was gay before I realized I was gay, which I think a lot of people relate to that uh, growing up. My parents were great, though, and my grandparents also were in the same city as us, uh, city, town. I didn't have a lot of struggles. I mean, I got called fag a lot. 
And that was just part of my reality. And I was, now that I look back on it, I was bullied a lot too. But I, your, some, your, your positive attitude just kind of created guess, a force field. I guess you know? it did. Yeah. I've always, so I've never ever in my life been someone who has worried about what other people think. I don't have FOMO in at all. I actually have JOMO, joy of missing out. I love not going <laughs> to things. <laughs> I love not doing things. I love not knowing the latest things. You know, it, it, it's very comfortable. I have no anxiety whatsoever. And I think that that's honestly why I survived that. Now, I did escape, <laughs> I like to say. Um, I was chosen uh, to be a foreign exchange student by the, the Congress Bundestag Youth Exchange Program, which is part of the State Department. Um, 50 American kids went over. And we lived for a year. My junior year of high school, I lived in Kiel, Germany. And that was wonderful, like mind-blowing. You, you would fit right in. Oh, yeah. Everyone th- <laughs> Until I opened, because I didn't speak German, and I learned it there. I now speak German. But until I opened my mouth, everyone just thought I was German. And then they're like, oh, no, that's a Texan right there. <laughs> and I think I probably had a stronger Texas accent prior to that experience than I do now. It was like mind-blowing, the, the different experiences and the different culture and all of that. And then coming back to Donna, Texas, and actually my dad had moved to McAllen, Texas, where I ended up graduating high school from a school I'd only gone to that one year. That was probably actually the hardest year of my life, was coming back from this like mind-blowing, like horizon-expanding experience to just home, right? It's so funny. Most of my family doesn't even live down there anymore. I only go down for funerals now. And actually, my dad passed away three weeks ago, and so we're going down for that. And that'll probably be the last time I go down there ever. Cause everyone else now lives in San Antonio. I'm like, if you're born or if you get married, I can catch you when you're in San Antonio. Cause I'm not going back down. That's a long drive. It I, is. I used to do mission trips down there like every summer. And yes. so that is a long everyone has drive that mission Dallas. trip story. Yeah. Yeah. It is a $350 plane ticket to get to McAllen, Texas from oh, wow. Dallas because you have to need to be there. Like it, it's it's a supply and demand thing. It's it's oh, they need to be there. Let's charge them every dollar we can. <laughs> Going to school at SMU. Yeah. Coming to Dallas. What was the the gay community like? Did you were you out at that point? Were you embracing those things? I mean, I know even for me when I was out, it was like, uh, I don't know if I'm ready for that, or yeah. maybe I don't want to do that. Picture it, Dallas, 1993. <laughs> That's when I came up here. I graduated high school in 93. So my freshman year of college, I was not out. Because I actually didn't even really know what that meant. Because keep in mind, we didn't have the internet back then. The Rio Grande Valley, where I'm from, had no cable television, really. So, And even if you did have cable, it was four channels, right? <laughs> right. So there were no there were no gay people on it. And we didn't even have Fox, like our channel for Fox down there yet. So, and that was in Living Color and all of that in other places. We didn't even have that. So my exposure, just my even awareness of what a gay person, a homosexual, uh, whatever is, it, I, I just didn't have any point of reference at all. And my parents didn't speak ill of gays, they we just didn't talk about it at all. Like it just was not a topic. It just didn't exist. Even though mm-hmm. I was like the biggest flamer in the world in their <laughs> in their world, it just didn't. It wasn't like it even didn't exist. It just wasn't. There was. It wasn't a negative and it wasn't a positive. It was just uh, indifference, honestly. You know, it's like I don't talk about. Well, actually, I can't think of anything yeah, right. I don't talk about. So. <laughs> but. Uh, so coming up, so I wasn't out. Um, I do remember 
meeting some gay kids at SMU and being kind of scared. Like it was, it was, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people relate to this. It was like the, the darkness before the dawn. Like I was, and I think I probably did some things that were, I, I would regret, regret, regret doing of, of distancing myself or speaking ill of them or something, you know, that internalized yeah. homophobia yeah, type yeah, thing. We've all done that. I feel yeah. like, yeah, you have to just kind of process that out. But as luck, God, Buddha, Oprah, I don't know who would have it. Yeah. I met my freshman's orientation, met my friend Luke. And turns out he was gay. I did not know it. He came out to me the summer between freshman and sophomore year. And he was kind of like, and you are too. Yeah. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> <I know. laughs> and, and, and we didn't have a romantic relationship at all. It was like just best friends. And I was like, you know what? You're right. I am. And then after that point, there is... My door blew off so hard that it is an orbit somewhere. <laughs> Probably around Uranus. But I'm bunch. I have to appreciate the world, though, that I am a very white, very tall, very outspoken person. So I do understand that a lot of privilege comes with that. Like, there's a lot of, like, I navigate the world very differently than a lot of people do. And I think it's important to recognize that. So I never really had. I mean, I got called fag occasionally and stuff like that, but not nothing, nothing too bad. And you know what? I've never done a drug in my life. I I drink a lot, but I think a lot of people do. I so I never really got into that scene. I went out a lot, like to the bars and such. But again, I think I maybe I choose to see certain things, and I choose to not see certain things. I don't know. I don't know what it is, but. I never saw I never experienced the 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 negative aspects of the gay community that I I hear and I completely believe exists but I it just was not part of my narrative for whatever reason I have I have no explanation for it. So fast forward a little bit to meeting your husband. Yeah. So you're in Dallas, you're now established here, you're graduated from college mm -hmm. I'm assuming at yeah. that point. Tell us a little bit of that love story. Yeah. So um, do you want the truth or do you want the... <laughs> <laughs> we love the truth around here. It's so much better yes. better listening. So I was a year... I'm an, a year older than Todd. So I was a year out of college, about a year and a half. And he had just moved here from North Carolina, where he grew up, to, to work at American Airlines here. We had a mutual friend, someone who worked with him, who had introduced us to each other. We kind of knew each other. Didn't really, nothing had really happened with that. But then Todd started dating my ex-boyfriend, Donovan, who I was still friends with. Because, you know... Here in the gay community, we're friends with a lot of we're our very exes. Small. We're yeah, very yeah, yeah, small. Yeah, Everyone dates everyone. Yeah, I don't. Ha I have very few exes that I don't like. I even have. I even my my ex Stewart. I'm like my favorite ex boyfriend Stewart. Like I literally introduce him as that. Like it, it's a it's kind of a running joke. And Todd knows him and loves him and all that too. Todd was dating Donovan, and then Donovan got a job out of town and was moving away, and they had just started dating, and so. Me being one of Donovan's best friends and Todd being his boyfriend through the going away party. And then one thing led to another, and then we were dating. <laughs> and so, and so you've been together since for... February of 1999. Okay. Wow. I know. At that point, gay marriage isn't legal. So 
were you just dating? Were you boyfriends? Were you domestic partner? I mean, like, how does that develop and progress? In our case, we were we were dating. And then I think after about two years, we moved in together. And then we lived together for a very long time. I have always, since coming out, I've always been out to my family. My Both of my parents were kind of like, eh. My dad called Todd my running buddy. So, I mean, that was about it. Because my dad's a cowboy. So, it was about as good as it got. But never anything negative. My mom was, I, when I came out to her, she was like, honey, we know. <laughs> and then my sister is one of my best friends in the world. I literally, to this day, talk to my sister every single day. So, Todd was not out to his family yet, though, at all. And so, we were living together, but we always had to make sure it was a two-bedroom apartment or a two-bedroom house or whatever. So, if his parents came to visit, it was a roommate situation. And then... Todd went to MBA school in Austin, and I lived between here and and I'd started one of my businesses by that point, so I needed to stay in Dallas. And so I was going in between Austin and Dallas. Once he graduated, we built a house here, and Todd was so proud of it. We were both so proud of it, but he wanted to invite his parents out for Thanksgiving. And that was when I said, I said, Todd, I'm not moving to the guest room. And he's like, what do you mean you're not moving to the guest room? I was like, this is, you can, I was like, I'm, I'm sleeping in the master bedroom. You, if you move to the guest room, you can explain to your parents why you live in the, in the guest bedroom of the house that you built, or you can figure it out. And so he did. And they, it was wonderful. Like he had built up so much fear of disappointment or fear of failing his parents, fear of a lot of things. And he's German. And so Germans, if, if there's a 5% chance of failure, they will focus on that 5%. Like, it's just a German personality trait that I like to poke fun at, of course. <laughs> but um, so ever since then, we've been together. Basically, once we built the house and, and started the knowing that we were kind of legit, I guess, at that yeah. point. Which is funny. At that point, it was we were already like seven years into oh, it. Wow. But like... <laughs> Uh, but it was legit, I guess. Once you have real estate together, <laughs> right. it's legit. We were calling each other partner, I think. And then we started the kid conversation. And a few years later, so in, so we bought the house in 05 and we had the kids in 09 or adopted the kids in 09. Then we were, we were never, we never called each other husband. We called each other partner all the time. But then once we were able to get married, and I had actually legally changed my name to Koch so that when we had kids, I had the same last name as my children. My real last name is Smith. That's no great treasure. It's probably not even really our last name. Like it was probably we were probably. I mean, do I look like a Smith? No, I look like something that is very Germanic sounding. So they probably moved here. It was probably super complicated, and they said Smith. And so I was like, Todd, it's much more important to you. I have a large family. He has a tiny family. I was like, well, I'll. T-. And I didn't want to hyphenate because I thought. Koch Smith or Smith Koch sounds like something that burns and itches. So I, <laughs> so and and so I was just like, let's just keep it simple. Let's not complicate it. And so I took his name. And so funny enough, once we actually got married in California, before it was legal nationwide, we got married in California. Our marriage certificate says Todd Koch marries Cooper Koch. <laughs> it's so yeah, a little Arkansas. How, how convenient. <laughs> you you mentioned kids. I want to talk a little bit about the adoption, especially right now, I think politically with some some things going on with the don't say gay bill or or with kids being attacked, this idea that, you know, LGBTQ people are a danger to children and all of those that things. That we're grooming. Right. So 
Talk to us a little bit about your family, and I want to get into the J.C. Penney's ad. Yeah. If a lot of you guys don't know, Cooper was in a J.C. Penney's ad back in 2012, mm -hmm. which was the first of its kind to feature a real gay real family. Life, yeah. So I, I want to talk about how that even came about, but walk us through that adoption story yeah. and that process for you. So Todd and I uh, knew we wanted kids, and neither of us felt a real compelling reason to go through so, so the uh, the options when you when you want kids and you're two gay men are to adopt or to do surrogacy. For us, we didn't have a compelling need for the genetic lineage or anything like that, right? We decided that adoption was the right path for us to go this way. And so we started investigating agencies and all that stuff. We ended up keeping our entire adoption in California because California at the time had very it was one of the few places that had very open liberal policies about it. Texas and all the rest of them with marriage equality, that's all kind of, I mean, you can do it in Texas now because you are legally husbands or legally spouses. But at the time, it wasn't as friendly. So we did it in California. We decided to do adoption. We also had no, we had no racial restrictions on it. We had no gender restrictions. We had no, pretty much it was open. It was like, if you have a kid, we'll take a kid. Right. And so ours went really fast. We had actually had two failed adoptions because that happens about 50% of the time the woman decides to keep the child. I fully support that. It hurts a lot when you're on the other end of it, but I don't want to ever live in a place where a woman doesn't have the option to keep her child. But if she does decide that she wants to give a child life and sacrifice and say, but I'm not the right person for that child, that was where we were stepping into it. And so we had two failed adoptions, and after the second one, I told the agency, it's like, let's just kick this old school style, like, just give us a call. Like, we don't need the, all of the, the back end stuff, all of the, the ramp up, all of that. And so they were like, okay, we'll do that. And a few months later, so actually two months later, two months after that, because it was January and then March, March 1st is when my daughter was born, we get a call saying, hey, we have a kid for you in Pomona, California. Can you be here tomorrow? So I literally got up from my desk, looked like I went to lunch, and didn't come back for two weeks because we flew out to get our newborn daughter, who was, I guess, maybe like two days old, three days old at that time, had to stay in a hotel until when you when you adopt, you have to, there's this thing that you have to do to allow you to go across state lines with the kid. So waiting for that to situate. Then we get back and we're living our best life with our new newborn. No sleep whatsoever. <laughs> you walk into the pantry and you're like, why am I here? What did I come in here for? The, the first the first three to six months are very brutal. I'm not yeah. going to lie. Yeah. I don't know anyone who romances those first three to six months. And, and when you've gone from no kid to suddenly, like not even a pregnancy or a buildup right. or anything, it's hard. And so we're living our best life, though, for, these, for three months. Three months and three days later, we get a phone call from the agency saying, hey, Call us, uh, Cooper Todd, we need you to call us now. It's very important you call us. They left it on voicemail. I called back and they're like, well, first of all, this is not about your daughter. And I was like, well, first of all, you should have left that in the effing voicemail. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right, you yeah. can't uh, like take them back yeah, after you exactly. give them, right? Exactly, I know, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, because there is actually a six-month window oh, where, where they they're, they're your foster child. Oh. Um, they can't take them back. Right. But there is, it's not legally like sealed right. until like six months later. So they're like, well, 
we know that you're okay with we, we know that you wanted multiple kids we originally wanted four we're now good at two um, <laughs> they, we know that you wanted multiple kids we know that you're okay with different races genders all these different things we have a little boy who just popped up like uh, the, the woman showed up to have the kid and and do you want him and we were like it, born in the same hospital delivered by the same doctor as our daughter we're like okay this feels very divine right and they're like so but we need an answer in two hours and we were on our way to the arboretum for a concert actually and we went and we were with our friends i couldn't tell you what song was sung that night because that's we were just like what do we do what do we do and i told todd immediately i was like yes we should do this this feels right yeah it's gonna be hard we're gonna live those for six (laughs) six months for nine months and so we ended up in three three months and three days we went from two guys to two guys with two kids. It was insane. And so that's really like that story part of it. As far as the JCPenney ad, the way that happened is right after Christmas of 2012, I got a Facebook message from a friend of mine who owns a modeling agency here saying, hey, JCPenney, well, actually we didn't know at the time it was JCPenney, just a major retailer is wanting to do this like groundbreaking campaign to celebrate the diversity of fatherhood and, and all of that kind of stuff. I would like to put you forward for it. He grabbed a photo off of my Facebook. I'd never met this person before. He was just someone I knew through Facebook. He grabbed a photo of us, submitted it to what we now know as JCPenney's. And like two weeks later, we've got contracts. We've got all of this. We're lining up a photo shoot and had no idea what was about to happen at all. How old were the kids at that time? The, so the kids are 13 now, so they would have been 10 or, or, or kind yeah, of in the middle thing. Ago, ten, so. About 10 years. Yeah, or I'm sorry, they would have been three. Sorry. Yeah, okay. uh, math is yeah. not my strong yeah. suit. <laughs> <laughs> so the kids were three. We're doing this photo shoot and have no idea what's going on. Then we don't hear a thing at all. For months, because we had done our job. We took a photo, right? And didn't even know the magnitude of it or anything like that. Well, in late May, I'm in a meeting, and my phone starts going ballistic, like like on fire. People texting me, calling me, we need to get a hold of you. What's going on? I'm like, okay, what's happening? So I leave the meeting. There's another baby. Yeah, I know, right? Exactly. At that point, we had made it clear that we did not that we were we were set on two. But they're like, "Have you seen Have you seen Huffington Post?" And I'm like, "No, why would I have seen Huffington Post? Like while I was in a meeting? Well, you're on it." And Huffington Post was the first to break it that there was this ad campaign. It was actually a catalog. It wasn't even like print ads or anything. It was a a catalog that was sent to millions of homes across America. Think about where most people who get JCPenney catalogs live also. So very conservative, smaller communities, all of that kind of stuff. Not to generalize, but I mean, that is really who- That's their market. Yeah, that's their market. Demographics there. And we are one of the spreads in the catalog. So they had the Hispanic dad, they had the black dad, they had the handicapped dad, they had the Jewish dad, they had all these, but then they had the gay dads. And the gay dads one was, it was a double fold, a double spread. And it said something like, what's better than having one dad? Having two or something like that. It was a very (laughs) spunky, fun like thing. And people were losing their mind. And at this point, the million moms were already kind of mad about the Ellen DeGeneres thing because that was when she was the, she did the Super Bowl ad or the Oscar ad or something for them. And she was their spokesperson. Funny enough, there was actually a lesbian couple 
that was in the Mother's Day one that no one noticed at all. And then we come out, and it was like blew up. Million moms lost their minds, called for a boycott of JCPenney, said that we are immoral, all this kind of stuff. We've got news stations. CNN followed us around for a day. We had, I think, even interviews with like Fox News and stuff. I mean, I'm 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 equal, I'm an equal opportunity publicity whore. So I was, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Australia, like doing Zoom interviews, that sort of stuff. Um, and it was crazy. I actually, because I own a PR firm, I actually had to hire someone to help me manage PR. my own <laughs> PR. It was it was just handling the deluge of, of requests that we were getting. And we got a note from Ellen's people saying that she was watching. They were off. They were on hiatus, so there was nothing they could do. But that she was watching and, and appreciated what we were doing. And I will say, overall, and again, maybe this is my, my Pollyanna-ness, I would say... 90% of the feedback was actually like remarkably positive, like overwhelmingly so, like gives me goosebumps to this day, positive. Everyone loved it. There was a there was some chatter that like, why did it have to be a cisgender? This is when those types of phrases were just starting sure, to come out. Sure. Heteronormative white couple, right? And my kids are Hispanic, by the way. So it was two white guys and two Hispanic kids. So there was a little bit of that within the gay community. And that hurt because we didn't put ourselves up for it. We were asked to do it. And then we were okay with doing it. Yeah. Some, sometimes we eat our own. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I have since learned that that is actually true for women. That is true for black people. That is true for like any slice of where, where there's a representative, a person that is a representative whether or not they actually are or aren't that people like to attack them because well that doesn't represent my exact experience which is why podcasts like this are so great because we all have such different experiences right like none of us are standing up and saying this is how it should be this is just this was this is is how mine was and then we did obviously have some of the negative stuff todd was asked to be the grand marshal of the pride parade and Spartanburg, South Carolina, because he actually is. He actually grew up in South Carolina. I said North Carolina earlier. They moved to North Carolina when he was in high school, but he grew up in South Carolina. But we were the we were the grand marshals of the Spartanburg Gay Pride March because it wasn't a parade. There was no one on the side. Well, it was one, everyone one of the larger it. Pride parades. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> actually, right? Yeah. yeah. But it's so funny. It was, everyone who was there was in it, not yeah. watching it. <laughs> But they hired security guards for us because they wow. didn't know. And that was a really bizarre experience, having security guards tell you at all times. I don't know how Beyonce does it because it was <laughs> <laughs> We did have some, I would say the most bizarre, and, and I don't read the comments on things because I just think that that's where humanity goes to die. But I do. I was Googling and, and searching and seeing things. And the most bizarre piece of feedback that we got was in a white supremacist like news group or whatever. I can't. I'm, <laughs> the internet was so different back then than yeah, it is right. even now. But this white supremacist group was talking about us, and they weren't talking about the gay thing at all. They were pissed off that kids that we white. had that our kids weren't <laughs> white. They were God. pissed off. That we were diluting the race even more and that, that we were raising these brown kids to have a white lifestyle. And, and like, that's what they were mad about. And I'm like, okay, that's where this goes. This is where this jumps the shark, goes off the rails, whatever you want to say. Like, I was, that was, that was honestly so absurd. It was, 
It was almost comical. comical. It is yeah. comical. They're like, we're okay with the gay thing, but we draw the line. Yeah. At, you know, it, yeah. it was crazy. During that time, and I, I know you talk about not having anxiety, and just you know, since we, we do talk about this on the podcast, does that kind of pressure, that kind of spotlight, that kind of even negative feedback that you're seeing impact mental health? And what did you and Todd do to protect your kids and yeah. also to protect yourself? Well, fortunately, the kids were young enough that they – didn't actually really know what was going on. They did a few of the publicity things, the the CNN, uh, when they followed us. We did some stuff on local TV. We actually reenacted the ad on uh, Good Morning Texas or Daybreak or one of those shows here. So for the kids, they don't they they just know that it is part of our family's narrative. They've seen the image. They know that people know us from that to this day. We still randomly get recognized 10 years later. I think it's about to start again <laughs> because the anniversary. But for us, it was, again, I, again I'm a, an external processor. So for me, I, I almost never go inside. I always go outside when I need to work through an issue, which helps a lot. It helps with when you're grieving, it helps when you're stressed. It helps when, well, as long as you're talking to the right people. That right. Is, yeah. <laughs> but we didn't really have a lot of fear. Also, we live, I mean, we live in one of the, the gay neighborhoods in Dallas, right? And so there is a bubble. Like, there's a an iron shield, if you will, around uh, our communities. Yeah. yeah, rainbow <laughs> shield around our communities. It was okay. You know, when we, when we travel, though, like even now, when we travel by car, because we have an RV. We're big RVers. That's a pandemic thing. And so we've traveled since the pandemic. We've traveled through like 20 states. And I will tell you, I've never seen so many like Trump signs and all kinds of stuff. Once you leave the city, you don't realize how sheltered you are once you're when, when you're in the city is when you leave. And there are times where we just have to be back on guard, you know, like the growing up gay, you know, you knew how to guard yourself. And Todd and I still, we're, we're not the hold it hands type, right? Because not because we don't want to, it's just because I guess we were so conditioned to not show public displays of, of affection that we just don't do that. And I love now that kids nowadays are able to do that. But when we get into like these smaller communities, we're stopping in the RV and we're going someplace. Again, I am very protected because I'm a six and a half foot tall, large man. So I think that people don't want to mess with me that much. But um, we've been places where a lot of there's a lot of eyes on us, and you just have to be like, okay, hopefully I'm. I choose to see the positive. Hopefully I'm opening someone's eyes. Hopefully I'm changing a child's mind. You know, half the time I wear nail polish. I'm not doing it today, but like, I like wearing nail polish. I like wearing scarves. I like, and, and, and I don't think that I, I mean, I'm just as much of a man. I don't want to be a woman. I just like pretty things. Right. And my children think it's normal. My children's friends think it's normal, but I was just at Disney world with my sister and I had my nails painted and no adult acknowledged it, but the kids noticing it. And some of them were kind of like, wow. I didn't know that I could do that or you could do that. And some of them were kind of like side-eye. And then some of them were like, cool color, man, you know. And that is that is my hope for living openly, living uh, just very transparently to the world. Like a, a, 
a reality show without a television camera around us. <laughs> I wouldn't want one. We've actually been offered reality shows numerous times, and I don't want to do that. But just like I mean, I would watch. Yeah, I know. I'm worried about the editing because here's the thing on reality shows. Reality shows edit each person down to pretty much their their one or two most extreme personality traits. And I don't want to be the loud drunk one. Like, <laughs> be like I know how they would edit well, me, and I do not appreciate I did, that. Narrative. I know. I already know. Uh, like, <laughs> so talking about that, the family, because you know, one of the things that I, I mean. I think that's the reason we first met. We were working on a campaign for Black Tie Dinner, yeah. and that's when you brought the family in, and we used that as part of that video campaign. I've always, you know, been impressed by that. But as I followed you over the years, it is kind of this reality show to some mm -hmm. degree. Of, I mean, I almost think it would make a great sitcom as well. Yeah. Just like this is my two dads, or you know, yeah. a little different from the '90s version or whatever <laughs> that was. But I mean, I, I'm fascinated with that. So. Spend some time talking to us just about adventures and gay parenting yeah. or, or what this looks like. Because I, I think it's real important for our audience, you know, even those who aren't, don't identify as LGBTQ, to recognize these families exist. Uh -huh. And it isn't this deviant whatever politicians are trying to make it out to be. It's just all the same normal things you see. They in would life. be so disappointed if they knew <laughs> yeah. how unexciting it is compared to theirs. It is the exact same experiences. I'm just really good at pulling out the observational parts and making fun of them and having a good turn of phrase on Facebook or, or when I'm doing Facebook lives or, or my blog or whatever. But we struggle with the same things. My, my kids are now teenagers. One day, I am their favorite person. The next day, I cannot, they hate me. Like, I literally get, I hate you from them, which I think is like the quintessential, uh, or no one cares. That's actually, that's the one that cuts the most. My daughter says that. When, I, when I'll tell a joke or talk about something that's exciting, no one cares. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, ah, but you do. <laughs> you have to love me. <laughs> but, but, you know, we go through the same things. And, and now that we're in schools, or our kids are in school, and we're around a lot of quote-unquote normal families, straight families, which none of them are normal, because that doesn't exist. Everyone's still different, the different personality traits and such. We all have the same issues, the same, the same things, the, the same fights about who takes care of what, the same Christmas things. There are certain layers of it, but I mean, I'm fortunate that my in-laws love me, right? I know straight people who, the in-laws, they're estranged from it, but they still have to come and have that really awkward Christmas dinner with them or whatever, <laughs> like that sort of thing. So I think that everyone just has different problems with it. The interesting thing is uh, when the kids were young, like in first, in kindergarten and first grade, explaining to them, to their friends who we are, like in relation to, like, I'm, da I'm daddy and Todd is papa. So the kids talk about it very matter-of-factly, and the kids are kind of... But then I'm wanting to be sensitive because of the accusations of being grooming kids to, to, to think things are okay or to bring them into a lifestyle or whatever. Like I'm always trying to make sure I'm not pushing the envelope too far for... for I'm not parenting another person's kid, right? right? And so, but we have... Ha I've actually had a dad, a super conservative dad in our school come up to me 
And he comes and knocks on my window, and he's like, hey, I need to talk to you about something. And I'm, of course, like, oh, no. <laughs> is, this, is this about to happen? And he's like, hey, so my daughter last night was asking about your, about your relationships and such, and I just want to know what you want me to tell her. I busted out crying. <laughs> it was very, very kind. Like he was, he was really wanting to to be sensitive to that. Uh, and then we've heard funny stories about other parents where they're like, Claire and Mason are the the daughters yelling at the mom. Claire and Mason are so lucky because she has two dads and no mean mom. Like, like, <laughs> yes, I win. I know, I know. So it's 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 a lot of the same. I mean, it's just you. I will say though that uh, there are probably a lot of cultural references that our children get that other children may <laughs> not have, and and they're not perverse or anything no. like that. It's just my kids know most of the words to steal magnolias. <laughs> not to be stereotypical, my son loves the song "Bitch I'm Madonna." Like <laughs> they they know that Auntie Mame is my favorite movie, and they love all the scenes from it as well. So that's so funny. My son is super aware of all of these things and he'll be, something will come on like Lady Gaga will come on TV and he's like, the gays really like her, right? <laughs> like, <"Yeah." laughs> Neither one of your kids identify as LGBTQ in any way, shape or form, which I think is that breaking that myth also yeah. that you're grooming or you're trying yeah. to make them a certain way. My kids don't identify as anything at the moment, actually. But um, it's funny though, kids today are so much more go with the flow go with the flow yeah like and and i would say fluid but fluid has a different connotation, connotation yeah. uh in this sense but they're just like i don't know what i am yet and i'm gonna figure it out but i'm not gonna put a big i'm this or that i'm not yeah, gonna yeah. put myself in a box yeah you know? so actually i i can't say for certain that my kids are straight but i know it wasn't because of me that they <laughs> wouldn't be you yeah. know yeah um but i i don't know that they're gay i don't know that they're anything i mean well, and is that is this a fear that you have for no. your kids by any you know? So I think my husband is concerned about it more than I am. I think that he he does worry that or or used to at least, I don't know if he still does, but used to worry that if we do certain things a certain way, people are going to think that we created that path for them. Um I don't think he's that way as much anymore. Um I do think like the JC Penny ad and then he was on the cover of DCEO magazine for the power of pride issue also. And our experiences with with people responding to those has been so positive that I think a lot of those fears have been allayed. But I, I think that, I mean, I think there's always a kernel of though, like, am I to blame for it? Because, you know, like all of our moms ask, did I make you gay? Like, right, right. Again, yeah. I was like, that's a very kind of classic, you know, parent fear, right? Yeah. But did I, did I make I... you gay? Did mm -hmm. I make you a serial killer? Did I make <laughs> right. you... Uh, have a foot fetish? Did I make you like? I mean, you just fill in the blank. Anything. I, I, I've gotten the question. I'm sorry, or, or even the statement. I'm sorry because I didn't know how to navigate this. Is this my fault? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of people who are very, very fixated on making their kids into certain things, and that's across all parents. I as as I openly say, I am not a child centric parent. And I know that sounds weird and harsh, but my kids are not my world. They are a very important part of my world. I like to joke, and, and my kids have heard this a thousand times, and they're going to roll their eyes when they hear this on, <laughs> on the replay. But I always say, this is the Cooper Cotch show, 
I have to keep this show on the air. You are very important characters on this show for about 20 seasons. And then you are going to go off and get your own spinoff. <laughs> and once you go off and get your own spinoff, you're only going to come on my show for cameo appearances, holiday specials, and very <laughs> special emotional Hallmark issues, right? Right. And I have to keep the show on the air with my co-star, Todd. And so my life has to, I have to, I always have to keep in mind that that you are in my life, you are part of my life, and my job is to make sure that you get your spinoff, that you have, that you are a good adult, that you have responsibility, you know right from wrong, but but you are not my world, right? And I know and that sounds harsh when you say it out loud, but I think a lot of people lose themselves in parenting, and I see it in both the the straights and the gays that they they it becomes their purpose in life, but then what happens when they go away? Well, and, I, and I've seen that. I've yeah. seen people lose their identity because their kids are gone. Yeah. And, and I like, I, I've heard you say this before. It's not my job to create a magical experience yes. for you as a kid. You know, I'm your parent. And I, of course, think back. I'm around your same age. So I think back to the 70s where it's like, I look at pictures of the first birthday party. And you're like, I was over in the corner. <laughs> and maybe I had that hat on with yeah. the really painful string that yes, you kept popping yeah. yourself with. In a grocery and, store cake. And maybe yeah. everyone was smoking cigarettes around me. And the ashtray was on my, you know, little... Next to the cake. Table. Right, right next to it, you know, or, or on my high chair. You know, and yes. it's like, we just kind of existed in the world. Yeah. And I think we've seen a shift in that recently where people feel like I have to create moments for my kids. I have to make their life magical. And that doesn't seem to be your approach. No, that at is all. not. And actually, and, and it's funny. I talk about this often. I was like, I, it's not my job to make my children's life magical. I'm there to make sure that they are good adults, good people. A lot of people call think that I'm being judgmental towards people who don't agree with that. And and this is one of those examples where people think I'm judgmental, and I'm literally just telling you what I do. I think that the internet has contributed a lot to what we're seeing now of. Everything needing to be bigger, better, magical, all of this. Social media, Instagram, Pinterest, all these types of things. And you know what? If you want to plan a, a big-ass party and that is something you in genuinely enjoy, go for it. That is not my thing, right? There are other things that I do for my kids that that may be magical in other people's eyes, but it's just something that we enjoy doing, right? So just, it, it, it's, it's not that hard. I mean, parenting is hard, but it's not that hard. I mean, you don't have to, don't kill yourself over it. I want to circle back just a little bit. You were talking about kind of talking to your kids, prepping your kids, and, and connect it a little bit to what's happening culturally across mm -hmm. our country with this idea of the don't say gay bills. We can't talk about these things. A lot of people have discussed the idea of, you know, if, if I'm a kid and I have two dads and I'm not really allowed to talk about it at school or no one's going to address it, you know, we kind of grew up in a time where, well, yeah, that, that was the norm anyway. Yeah. But how do you, what are your thoughts on that? You know, if, if your kids were in an environment where they weren't allowed to talk about you and Todd or express yeah. that, and then also what kind of things did you do as a parent prepping your kids for maybe tough conversations or, or bullying or things they might experience in school because they're the children of two dads. Yeah. Well, that's always been a conversation in our household, that we are a different family structure and that we do have to be aware of, of things, like just to be on guard a little bit about things. So that's there's always been a common thread of that 
age-appropriate conversations about that sort that sort of thing. That is the way it used to be for us. I I have to wonder in practice if if these bills are actually going to do anything. I think that they are more to just make people upset and to go to the polls and vote for somebody. Because like the Just Say Gay bill, if you look at it, and I'm in no way defending it, uh, but if you look at it, it's about like first through third grade specifically. I think it specifically talks about like young grades. They're not talking about sexuality in those grades anyway. The, the most that they are saying is the teacher may say my husband or my wife or whatever, right? And I don't know. It, it seems like a lot of smoke, but not a lot of fire, if you will. So I'm actually not super concerned. I mean, I don't like them. I don't want to be the the target of any of these things. I think it 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 does send terrible messages to kids who are old enough to see. Like I'm actually more concerned about the junior high and high school kids who are hearing about these things and thinking, "Oh my God, they hate me. They hate me. This is the society hates me." Right? I'm not so concerned about the young kids. Like there have been times I've told my children, like if we are pulled over he's your dad and I'm his friend or something like that. Like we don't do that anymore, but there were times when I was younger. Here's the thing. It is kids love telling the truth. (laughs) And sometimes the truth is not the most protective situation Mm -hmm. for you. So like I've told the kids, like if I get pulled over, there may be things that I say that are, that, that, that don't sound as truthful as you would (laughs) like me to say them. Keep your mouth shut. Just, just go with it. Go, follow my lead is what I always <laughs> read the room and follow my lead are like two of the big things. And again, that sounds like I'm advocating lying, and it specifically sounds like I'm advocating lying to law enforcement. <laughs> but, I, <laughs> but I just say for, for just there, there are certain times where every detail does not need to be shared, and that's a tough lesson for kids. Um, and that applies to school too. I'm like sometimes you don't need to talk about what happens in our house. But the reality is it's really boring. <laughs> like there, the kids. I, I've been said, don't talk about that at school. Why would I talk about this at yeah. school? Yeah. Like, why would I talk about this at school? This is terrible. It's so boring. Like, my friends don't care. No one cares, as my daughter says. <laughs> as we're wrapping up, tell us a little bit about the work you're doing. I know you're really involved with adoption or uh-huh. help. Helpusadopt.org help adopt. is yeah. the organization. So wh- I've been involved. I'm actually a national board member of a group called helpusadopt.org. And what they do is, or what we do is, we raise money to give life, life-changing grants to help people adopt children. So adoption is, is expensive. The average adoption, I think, in the United States is about $45,000. And it is a lump sum, one time, you pay it. And, and there are some people who say, well, if you can't afford the adoption, don't have the kids. I don't know a lot of people who can come up with $45,000 on the spot but I know a lot of people who can have kids biologically, and they do, and we're fine with that, right? And so I don't want that to be the barrier for anyone to adopt and for kids not to have homes and for families not to be built. So we, we raise money and we give out these grants, and a lot of the grants go to LGBTQ families. They're one of the few organizations that does this that doesn't care about family structure, doesn't care about—you can be a single mom, you can be a gay couple, you can be a heteronormative— straight couple, whatever, we give out millions of dollars of grants a year. Very cool. Yeah. Very cool. Before we go, we always like to play a little game with our guests. Awesome. I'm going to kick it over to Coleman and let him go. All 
right, our fast fave fives. Starting off, who is your favorite artist? Adele. What is your favorite kids cartoon to watch? My favorite kids cartoon to watch would probably be, oh, it's been forever since my kids have watched cartoons. Uh, it's not a cartoon, but Yo Gabba Gabba. It okay. has the best sense of humor. What is uh, your favorite type of food? My favorite type of food is Italian food. Anything Italian. What is your favorite song on the radio? When We Were Young by Adele is literally one of my all-time favorite songs. Of all, The words are just amazing. You, you, you cry through that. I do. <laughs> well, I, don't, I, I think I've gotten to the point where I only get misty now. <laughs> and last one. What is your favorite state to visit in an RV? Tennessee is gorgeous. The smoke Mountains, Dollywood, must visit Dollywood. It is the best. Well, thank you so much for being on our show today. Awesome. We appreciate exploring some of those topics with you. I always like to see you online. Tell people where they can find you, maybe even checking out your your Facebook kind of reality show yeah, that comes yeah. out. Tell us all about it. Well, my blog is coopedup.com, and every day on Facebook, Mondays through Fridays at 4.30 Central, I do a Facebook Live where I just talk about the day, what's been going on, sometimes current events, things like that. 4.30, facebook.com slash I'm Cooped Up is the URL for that. And tell us a little bit about He Said Magazine. Yes. What he said is, uh, he said mag.com is the website for it. Um, we talk about fun things to do, see, eat, buy in Dallas. Not always gay things, but just always from a witty gay perspective. <laughs> awesome. Well, thanks so much for being here. We really appreciate your time. Uh, we wish you the best in all you're doing. Thanks so much. I'm real excited we were able to have Cooper on today. I love hearing his stories about his family. If you haven't had a chance, you need to go check out some of his blogs, follow him on social media. I always, I've seen his son uh, dance and perform to Bitch on Madonna. So <laughs> it is one of my favorite things. I highly recommend it. He's he's so great with his kids. It's just been a, a really cool role model to see what two men with adopted kids, two gay men with adopted kids can be like. And and it's, it's really exciting. It's always given me hope. Yeah, I mean, you know, as someone growing up where I didn't even think that gay marriage was going to be a thing in my lifetime, to someone that always kind of wanted a family and to see people out there doing that, it's good to to kind of have good role models and, and people in those spaces that you don't normally see. So go check out his social media. Also check out helpusadopt.org. It's a great organization. I love that. That's going to do it for us this week. Remember, you can't stay in the closet when the floor gives way. This is falling out. Mm -hmm.